0: Well, let me invite you to remain standing out of joyful reference for God's Word and grab your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1 in one of the Bibles that will be in the seat backs in front of you that can be found on page 833 or 953. As today is uh, the first Sunday where I'm preaching as your pastor here at Redeemer Church, it seemed wise for us to consider together what God says about the gospel ministry, particularly what God has to say about gospel preaching. So our sermon this morning is going to focus just on verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1. But in order to give some appropriate context, I want to read for us verses 24 through 29. And then I'll pray for our study, and we will begin. So let us hear now as God speaks to us through his word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Let us pray for God's blessing on our study. Father, we do come to you this morning As people who need your word. Lord, we know that your word is life unto us. So we pray that the spirit would move among us to open our eyes. To behold wondrous things in this text. That it would open our hearts as well. That we might follow it and keep it with our whole lives. So give us us ears of eagerness this morning. Give us hearts of humility as we want to respond to your word. Help me to preach as I ought boldly and clearly lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word as a dying man unto dying people. And Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In the 1560s, James V was the king of Scotland. And he was in the midst of a, a spat of sorts with a fiery Presbyterian preacher by the name of Robert Bruce. And one day, James decided that he was going to attend St. Giles Cathedral, which is in Edinburgh, and he was going to make life difficult for Robert during his sermon. So James came into the cathedral with his entourage, and they sat in the Royal Gallery, as they often would. And not long after Bruce began his sermon... James began to speak loudly and rather irreverently to his entourage. And Bruce stopped preaching and James stopped talking. A few seconds later, Bruce began his exposition once again. And then James picked up his loud conversation, bantering once again with his buddies. And Bruce stopped again and James stopped again. So this happened the third time. And then Bruce finally lifted up his gaze and looked directly into the royal gallery and addressed the king of Scotland saying, It is said to have been an expression of the wisest kings. When the lion roars, all the beasts of the land are silent. And he continued, The lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring in the voice of his gospel, and it becomes all the petty kings of the earth to be silent. And of course I think there are many things we could say about that wonderful statement from Robert Bruce about true gospel preaching. But maybe the most important for what we want to look at this morning is he is pointed to something that is very true within our Reformed and Presbyterian tradition as we understand the preaching of God's Word. That whenever Christ is properly and plainly proclaimed, He is present speaking to His people. That when sermons are concise, clear, courageous, Christ-exalting, Christ roars in the pulpit ministry of a local church. And so as we do begin together, what we hope to be many, many years of gospel ministry here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, I thought it would be very useful for us to consider what the Bible has to say about a roaring pulpit ministry. And I can think of no text, especially in the New Testament, that with simplicity and significance summarizes the nature of of true gospel preaching like Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. So if you don't know anything about Colossians, it's a short letter, only four chapters long. It's one of the few letters that Paul wrote to a church that he actually didn't plant. He didn't help Start. We don't have any evidence even that Paul ever visited the city of Colossae. But we we do know that he was aware of its ongoing ministry together through his connection to men like Epaphras, who was a minister in Colossae, through other men like Philemon or Onesimus. And evidently, if you just read through Colossians, you might consider doing it later this afternoon because it's a short book. What you'll begin to see is Paul is clearly interested in bolstering the church against evident false teaching that had come in to the church there at Colossae. It seems as though there was something like a precursor to Gnosticism that was coming into this church. Uh, And we'll look at that in a few minutes, how it may have even played out in the nature of preaching. And so Paul is writing this letter in order to strengthen the church against the threats of, of falsehood And what he is going to do to encourage the church to remain firm in the gospel is he's going to proclaim the sufficiency and supremacy of of Jesus Christ. So it's natural that we get later on in chapter 1 where we are this morning by verse 28 that he talks about what gospel preaching ought to look like. So I am convinced that This text, while it is immediately true of Paul's ministry, you'll notice again if you just stare at the first clause in verse 28, he changes the pronoun from the one he was using to say, we proclaim, not just I proclaim. It's as though he includes all of the gospel ministers there in the first century that he knows, and I do think in the inspiration of the Spirit, all of the faithful gospel ministers to come and minister to Christ's church, that he is saying, this is what true gospel preaching looks like. And so I am also convinced that if we can get the essential characteristics of what God expects of his preachers, uh, we will be well on the way to a joyful unity in our ministry together here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church because you might think about it this way. So kids, you're children of the covenant. And do you know the ordinary way God speaks his covenant promises to you is through the preaching of his word. Sermons centering on Christ are really important. Students, some of you are soon to go off to college. Maybe you're considering even right now a university that you might attend. I would want you to think even as you make uh, that consideration, is there a gospel preaching church near that university? What might even gospel preaching look like? So I'd encourage you to pay attention to what Paul has to say this morning. Uh, You do know there are brothers in the church that are licensed for gospel ministry under the care of the presbytery, studying in seminary, earnestly endeavoring to serve Christ's church as ministers of the gospel. And you, brothers, let us be reminded and exhorted of, of what the nature of that ministry must look like according to God's word. But of course, so many of you are devoted church members here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. What does a text about preaching have to say to you? Well, I think in God's kindness through the work of the Spirit as though the Father just grabs you by the hand and and leads you to the truth to know what what ought you to expect, what ought you to long for, what ought you to pray for to be true about this pulpit and the men that stand behind it to proclaim the gospel. So preaching Christ is our theme this morning, and as we walk through the verse, you'll notice it has three simple clauses to it, three simple sections, so I just want to walk through it under three simple headings. Number one, the center of preaching, secondly, the way of preaching, then thirdly, the aim of preaching. So children, you might even write down simple questions that we're trying to answer this morning, what to preach, how to preach, and why to preach. So notice again verse 28, the center of preaching. He makes it very clear, doesn't he, right from the outset? Him we proclaim. So maybe the better question isn't actually what to preach. Maybe it's whom to preach. You might even be in here this morning and are wondering about the truth of Christianity. Maybe you're even coming here this morning asking simple questions, yet magnificent questions like, who is Jesus? Or maybe, my dear Christian friends, if if you were to go through this week and someone was to come to you and ask, who is Jesus? Well, how would you answer them? What truth would you point them to? I want you to see that one of the best places you could turn to in the Bible to instruct people in who Jesus is, is Colossians chapter 1. Here we get some of the most exalted statements about Jesus Christ, his person and work, that you can find in short summary in the entire scriptures themselves. So let me give you a few essential points that Paul is after about this Christ we're to proclaim. First of all, he is the Lord of creation. If you look back at verse 15 and 16 and 17, you'll see that all things were created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. That he is before all things. And then in him, all things hold together. Then if you look at verse 18, you look at verse 24, we're told that he's the church's foundation. He's the head of the church, which is his body. Then if you just scan your eyes through verses 19 through 24, you'll find out that Jesus is also the way of reconciliation. The fullness of deity dwells in Christ in order that he might reconcile all things to himself through his bloody death on a cross. And we also even find out, you'll notice in verse 22, that he's the source, we might say, of sanctification, that he means not only to reconcile us to God, but present us holy before God. You can look at verse 25, 26, you'll see that he's also the light of revelation. This mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, Paul says, has now been revealed to the saints in Jesus Christ. And then maybe a sixth thing you can notice from Colossians chapter 1 is that he is the hope of salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ Christ in you. You see verse 27? The hope of glory. This is the Christ we are to preach. I grew up in a church, and maybe you did too, where Christ-centered preaching was understood to be little more than tacking on Jesus to an end of a sermon, as the preacher would call down individuals to come to the front and, and receive Jesus Christ as a Savior. And precious little else was ever said about Christ's person and His work. And however true that is, the Bible presents a, a much fuller picture of, of who Jesus is. As we just said, He's the Lord of creation. He is also the way of reconciliation. He is the church's foundation, the source of sanctification, the light of revelation, and God's hope of salvation. This is the Christ whom we are to proclaim in all of His fullness, majesty, and splendor. So, maybe you are in here this morning and you don't trust in Jesus as your Savior. What I would want to tell you is that the Bible says to do so is to be apart from God. That you have no access to the Father, that the only thing you have permission to is eternal death and judgment for your sin. But the Spirit means for us to lift up Christ before your very eyes this morning, that you might look upon Him and live and see His glory, that if you would turn from your sin and trust in this God-man Jesus Christ, you will find a Savior died for your sin on the cross, shed His blood on your behalf, was buried and rose again three days later, ascended up into heaven, is now ruling and reigning. And so not only do you get a Savior who forgives you of your sin and washes you clean, you get a priest who continually prays before the Father for you. You get a prophet who speaks to you through His Word and Spirit. You get a king who brings you to Himself, who conquers And restrains all of your enemies. You get a Lord who loves you. And delights to lead you. On to your eternal home. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom we are to proclaim. And did you notice what Paul didn't say at the beginning of verse 28? He didn't say proclaim the truths about Jesus Christ. What did he say? Proclaim Christ. I don't want to drive a super hard wedge between those two because they're often difficult to distinguish. But especially if you are a parent or you are are married, you might have a sense, I think, at the nuance Paul's getting at here in Colossians chapter 1. You know, in recent weeks, and really months, uh, people have asked me to describe my family. So my wife, Emily, our five children, four little boys, and little daughter, a sixth on the way. Now, it's true, if I was asked to describe my family... I can speak factual information about them. Hudson is seven years old. I met my wife Emily back in 2004. Go on in other truths about them. But wouldn't it be true that such information would feel like it's detached? In some ways, communicating a distance in the relationship? I would hope that if you ask me about my family, the reality of our living, loving and real relationship would make it feel as though as I am talking about them, you actually meet them and don't hear just mere information about them. Likewise, preachers are to cause you to meet Christ, not just hear the truth about Christ, but to meet him in the preaching of his word in all of his glory, majesty, and beauty. Christ is the center of our preaching. So how then are we supposed to preach Jesus Christ. Well, notice how the verse continues. He gives us two verbs, doesn't he? Paul in verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone. So, warning, teaching, you know, we might say these are the natural and necessary attributes or means of preaching Jesus Christ. So, you notice one's negative, one seems to be positive. Negatively, we warn in our preaching of Jesus Christ. I'm sure that all of us are aware we live in a culture in America. Do we not also live in some sense of an evangelical culture in America that is opposed to warning in preaching as though it is some way intolerant. It is in some sense unloving to warn people. Well, have you ever noticed in the New Testament how much our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles warn in their preaching? You know, you might grab somebody in the church this week and say, hey, let's look at a few sermons in the New Testament. And you might be surprised how much of that sermon actually is a warning. So you could turn to someplace like Matthew chapter 23. Jesus' warnings and woes upon the religious leaders. Or a place like Acts chapter 24 when Paul is preaching before Felix and we're told that he is preaching about the coming judgment. And Luke tells us in his writing of that instance, he says, Felix was alarmed. Do you believe that Christ-centered preaching ought to alarm people? Ought to alarm people about the reality of sin? alarm people about the reality of coming judgment and of of course the provision of a Savior in Jesus Christ. But it's not just sounding negatively the warning bell is it? It's also positively teaching Jesus Christ the ways of righteousness teaching the truths about the righteous one himself again presenting him in all of his wonder to every person or to warn and to teach as we preach the gospel. I grew up in a home that loved salt. <laughs> you know, every time a savory dish was placed on the stone, home, uh, the stone home table of my youth, it seems like precious few seconds would pass by before someone lifted that blessed sodium shaker and began to dispense its goodness over the food. I had a close friend in my soccer playing days that was an Italian from New York that loved to cook. And it seemed like garlic went into everything that he made. You know, I have have friends and even family members. Every morning they wake up to their cup of coffee. But they have a particular way of flavoring that cup of coffee. So many packs of a certain kind of sugar, a very specific kind of creamer, or or let alone a very specific flavor of coffee itself. And Paul says that true gospel preaching has a kind of seasoning to it. Do you notice as he continues, we're to warn everyone and teach everyone with what? all wisdom gospel preaching needs wisdom seasoning through and through uh, maybe you're like me and you can remember some of the best preachers you've ever heard And is it not true that they so often seem to be like soul physicians they have the wisdom they know when to break when to mend they know when to cut and, and when to heal Faithful gospel ministers know how to apply Christ to every person's conscience, aware of the unique struggles, sins, and sufferings in any given congregation. We're to preach with all wisdom as we warn and we teach and present Christ. But what then about the aim? The aim of preaching. Well, let's read the verse once again. Verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that, so here's our purpose clause, why do we do this? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So kids, what's the purpose of preaching? Maturity. And even that word is somewhat notoriously difficult in the Greek to communicate its meaning into English. It's why, depending on your English translation, you might get it translated as perfect or complete, or of course here in the ESV it's mature. Uh, The idea is wholehearted devotion to God is the aim of preaching. We read earlier from Matthew chapter 22 that we would love the Lord with our entire being. Maybe a different way to think about it according to the New Testament is maturity in Christ can be summarized in these three words. Conformity to Christ. That's what preaching is always after in presenting Christ to conform God's children to the image of His Son. So I do hope that you are praying that God would indeed give us wonderful years, decades even of life together. That this pulpit would indeed roar with the voice of the Lion of Judah, that we might grow in Him. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we can look back with each passing year and what we see as we grow in Christ is that our entire being is more and more captivated by Jesus Christ. That He has captured our affections. That our deepest thoughts, feelings, actions center on Jesus Christ as we grow in Him. Because children don't miss the fact that it is maturity in Christ that Paul is aiming for. That He's not just the substance of our preaching, He's the standard as well of our living. The aim of preaching is always supposed to be maturity, which is helpful for us in a variety of different ways, maybe uniquely to center and focus our attention on what God desires from us. That more so than large number of converts, excellently tooled programs for discipleship, elegant church structures and buildings, influential platforms for broader church involvement, and Christ's renown. What God is after in the preaching of his word is your maturity. That's why even one commentator I read this this week says, God calculates success by whether a congregation entrusted to the care of a minister is fed and fit until the very end gospel preaching aims for maturity. And depending on your translation, if you have the ESV in front of you, did you notice even verse 28 repeats a word three times? You're not going to get this in your NIV if you have it in front of you, but it repeats this word, everyone. you see that? We are to warn everyone. We're to teach everyone. We're to present everyone mature in Christ. So why is Paul, you know, when we study the Bible, we want to think about these kind of repetitions. Why is Paul clearly so interested in everyone? Well, what we know about this kind of Gnosticism that eventually took over in some ways the early church in the second century that there were kind of precursors of here in Colossae is that the Gnostics said that they had the secret revelation of God. And that revelation was only for the elite few. You had to have a mature ability to handle it. You had to have a particular intellectual awareness to get it. So when they preached and teach, guess what? Kids were not allowed in there. It wasn't for them. It was for the select few. You see how Paul is combating that by saying, this is for everyone. Christ is for everyone. So kids, don't forget about this. Kids, you are just starting out in your life. You are learning about this covenant king, Jesus Christ. And don't ever forget in the sermons, Christ is for you. Some of you older saints are nearing the end. And what a comfort it is that every time you arrive on Sunday, Christ is speaking to you. Some of you are single mothers, struggling under the weight of your responsibilities. This Christ is for you. Some of you are even single, wanting to have a spouse, wondering if a church in our evangelical culture that's so often centered on families, if the king of that church is for you. Paul is here to say, He is for you. Or maybe you're near this morning. Wonder how this King of kings and Lord of lords could welcome such a sinner like you. But he says, welcome. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This King, this Christ, is for everyone. So as we present Him, we present Him to everyone. Christ is the center of our preaching. With wisdom we warn and teach for that is the way of preaching and we aim for conformity to Christ in every man, woman, and child. One of the greatest ministers in the English-speaking world in the 19th century was a man named Horatius Bonar. He was a Scotsman, a very prolific author, wrote many hymns that still are sung in in churches today. He was an earnest evangelist, an all-around wonderful pastor. And after he finished his studies at the Divinity Hall, where he attended what would have been seminary, for a few years he served as an assistant pastor, and eventually he was extended a call to be the senior minister at the North Parish Church in Kelso, which is some ways south of Edinburgh in Scotland. And his first sermon there, as the senior minister at the church at Kelso, he took as his text Mark chapter 9, verse 29. And what he said was, this ministry is going to be one based on prayer and fasting. So by the end of his sermon, he got to a point where he was exhorting his new congregation how they might minister together. And he said this, in coming amongst you here, the first thing I ask of you is your prayers. Keep these idle compliments, these regular it may be, but too often unmeaning pieces of courtesy to yourselves. If these are all you have to give, I shall be poor indeed. What I ask is your unwearied, your believing, wrestling prayers. Nothing else will do. My friends, what every minister of this church needs, what every ruling elder of this church needs. What we all need, isn't it true, is our faithful, fervent prayers, for nothing else will do. It is through the wind of prayer, the Spirit working powerfully through the prayers of God's people, that preaching comes forth with clarity, with courage. In power, I have frankly been very encouraged these last few weeks, specifically even this week, at the number of you that have come up to me and said, how can we pray for you? Or what day of the week would you like for me to pray for you on? And let me see if I can encourage all of us, from this text, of a few points of prayer for a roaring pulpit ministry, one in which Christ is presented unto the good of God's people. So let's think about these things and then we will be done with our time this morning. Number one, pray for your ministers to have a holy love of Jesus Christ. We talk about what we love. and powerful preaching of Jesus always comes through a heart that is captured by that king. What you need from me What you need from Mark Belanger, what you need from your session, more than anything else, is that our hearts would be absorbed with, affected by this Lord. And that our preaching and our ministry among you would be little more than just an overflow of our soul's delight as we present Christ unto you. Pray for a holy love of Jesus. Secondly, pray for a holy fear of God. We're to preach with wisdom. Minister with wisdom. So, where does wisdom come from? Well, you might even notice in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, we're told that in Christ all the treasures of wisdom are hidden. Don't we even know from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So, pray for your ministers and your leaders to, with each passing week, Have increasing views of God's holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His goodness, His omnipotence, His mercy unto His people, that we might minister among you in a holy fear of God and therefore minister wisdom found in Christ unto you. Thirdly, I pray for your ministers and your leaders to preach Christ out of a holy trust in the Spirit. We are... To present Christ that you might grow in Him. What we do know from the entirety of the New Testament, where does holiness come from? Who is God's agent for the sanctification of His church? Who is the one that is powerfully working through the church in order to make them mature in Christ? Is it not the person of the Holy Spirit? It is in Him we are to trust as we preach, as we pray, as we counsel, as we disciple, as we lead, as we oversee, as we bear witness to Christ. So you can pray that we would trust in the Spirit, not human strength, worldly schemes of wisdom, that we would depend on Him and Him alone to do that which God has called us to do. So Lord willing, next week we will begin a series of expositions through the Gospel of Luke. It is a series that should the Lord tarry, and I hope you are praying with me that He comes quickly. But should he tarry, it will take us well into 2019. And part of the reason for that is, it seems so appropriate, doesn't it, at the outset of any gospel ministry that we just sit and stare every single week at Jesus Christ. So I pray that you come ready to hear of Christ. That you come ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That you pray for the men who will be preaching through that book to give you and proclaim unto you Jesus Christ. What a wonder it would be if as the years pass and the Spirit moves among us that the increasing delight of this church is an echo of the words from William Perkins, an old Puritan pastor who wrote a great volume on Puritan preaching, that our delight would be this. We preach one Christ, by Christ, to the praise of Christ alone. Let us pray. Father, we do confess unto you our often small thoughts of Jesus Christ and little attention that we give unto him. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us, that you would use us in order to proclaim Christ in this area of McKinney and unto the surrounding cities that we are serving and bearing witness to. Lord, we want to be a people that are centered upon Christ, that concentrate on Your Son in our life together. And do help us to love the preaching of Your Word, to love the Christ that comes through it. And we do pray it all in His name. Amen. friends, we want to continue in worshiping God in a couple of different ways. The deacons in just a minute will be bringing around the morning offering as we worship God by returning unto him what he has given to us. If you're interested in some information about our church, the deacons will have that as well. If you're seated on the inside rows, we invite you to grab the black registration pad in front of you. Give us a record of your attendance if there's any way we can serve you. Please write that down and pass it along to the end of the row. And then we also want to respond to God's Word and worship Him once again through song as we sing Man of Sorrows.